The first reading comes from Lamentations. Um, it comes in a number of parts. You might find it easy to follow on the screen rather than the Bibles. Because Lamentations 1, 2, 3, and 5. I'll be reading it as one piece. How deserted lies the city, once so full of people. How like a widow is she, who was once was great among the nations. She who was queen among the provinces has now become a slave. Bitterly she weeps at night, tears are upon her cheeks. Among all her lovers there is none to comfort her. All her friends have betrayed her, they have become her enemies. After affliction and harsh labor, Judah has gone into exile. She dwells among the nations. She finds no resting place. All who pursue her have overtaken her in the midst of her distress. My eyes fail from weeping. I am in torment within. My heart is poured out on the ground because my people are destroyed, because children and infants faint in the streets of the city. They say to their mothers, where is bread and wine? As they faint like wounded men in the streets of the city, as their lives ebb away in their mother's arms. What can I say for you? With what can I compare you, O daughter of Jerusalem? To what can I liken you, that I may comfort you, O virgin daughter of Zion? Your wound is as deep as the sea. Who can heal you? I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I well remember them, and my soul is downcast within me. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. You, O Lord, reign forever. Your throne endures from generation to generation. Why do you always forget us? Why do you forsake us for so long? Restore us to yourself, O Lord, that we may return. Renew our days as of old, unless you have utterly rejected us and are angry with us beyond all measure. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Second reading this morning is taken from Matthew chapter 27, verses 33 through to uh, 51. That's pages uh, 999 and 1000 of your uh, few Bibles. The crucifixion and the death of Jesus. They came to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. There they offered Jesus wine to drink mixed with gall, but after tasting it, he refused to drink it. When they had crucified him, they divided up his clothes by casting lots, and sitting down, they kept watch over him there. Above his head, they placed the written charge against him. This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Two robbers were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, You, who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross if you are the Son of God. In the same way, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he cannot save himself. He's the King of Israel. 
Let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. In the same way, the robbers who were crucified with him also heaped insults on him. From the sixth hour until the ninth hour, darkness came over the land. About the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said, he's calling Elijah. Immediately, one of them ran and got a sponge. He filled it with wine vinegar, put it on a stick, and offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook and the rocks were split. This is the word of the Lord. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are the God who hears prayer, hears and answers, even the deepest and most agonizing cry of our hearts. Hear our prayers now. Amen. Okay. So, yes, those were quite grim readings. We'll come back to them. Let's just rewind for a moment to that wonderful moment with two children here up on stage with all their life to come, walking with me, one in my arm and one in my hand, around through us as we welcomed them into our family. Our lives can be good or bad. They can be filled with joy and struggle. And in each of those, all of those situations, we have an opportunity to reach out towards God. It's a delight when we have weddings in here. Two young people coming together, full of love for each other, full of hope for the future, full of delight in each other, as we had only two days ago here in church, Tristan and Katie, standing there in the presence of God and their families and friends and giving themselves to each other and asking God to bless them in all the days of their life ahead. And what more glorious moment of hope and joy and love than the birth of a child. What a delight for us to share in this moment with Meg's family and Abraham's family. As they bring Abraham and Meg before Jesus, asking him to bless them with his unfailing love, his eternal security, and the limitless significance of his choice for them as they take their first steps. Okay, not quite steps yet for Meg in following Jesus. 
Sometimes we reach out to God out of the overflow of our hearts, out of the love and the joy and the delight and the gladness that fills us. We may not know God very well. We may not understand how he fits into our lives. But we have an instinctive sense that this joy, this potential, this life, this love welling up inside us is bigger than we are and, and has a source somewhere else, deeper and bigger beyond us. And we want to give thanks. As one of the New Testament writers said, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. And sometimes we know that we aren't big enough ourselves. We're not strong enough or wise enough to protect those that are so precious to us, to take on the responsibilities that have been given to us. And so we're calling out, asking that someone bigger and stronger and wiser than us would love our child or our beloved or the people for whom we have responsibility and would protect and hold them safe for us. So other Bible verses resonate with our longings. I know whom I have believed. And I'm persuaded that he is able to keep the one that I have entrusted to him against that day. Many of us, not just Meg and Abraham's mothers, might have that sense of somebody else who is really dear to us and we can no longer protect. And we want to entrust them to somebody who can. It's been a real privilege this last weekend to, have, um, to host just one little space in the country of the National Weekend of Prayer. And thank you to Irene who has put so much effort into coordinating our response to that. And thank you to those of you who have been here in order to enable the prayers of others to be articulated and said. It's been a particular privilege for me, spurred on by Irene, to write to um, uh, members of the, the community here who have responsibility to uh, school and nursery leaders and to our um, counsellors. And uh, here they are, Rob Wood and Linda Symes and Hugh Mason and David Tompkins and Sandra Stockdale and Ryan Brent. Did you know all those names? People who are making decisions for us day by day. And I was able to write to them and ask to them and to our MP, Flick Drummond, if there was anything that they would like us to pray for for them as they take responsibility for us. And um, it was lovely to have one or two responses back. Uh, one, please be praying for the elderly in our city, um, those who are struggling and those for whom there seems less hope. And it was another privilege to receive a letter from Flick, our MP, saying, I need you to pray for me because the responsibility of taking decisions for this country are so great that I need your prayers to sustain me as I do that. Well, these are some of the reasons that we reach out to a God we may not yet know, wanting someone who can express 
and entrust our thanks and longings to. If that's why you've come today, then you're very welcome. And we hope that you'll discover here amongst us our Creator Father, the giver of all joy who shares and enriches our celebrations. And also Jesus, his Son, the trustworthy one, the one who can guide us and lead us through all the confusing and scary twists and turns of our life and who can protect those whom we love. For this is our commission as a congregation, as a church, to throw wide the doors to this house of worship and prayer and to welcome all who have these senses of longing and of need that they can't yet express themselves. Well, at other times, life is not so obviously full of joy, is it? At about quarter past nine last night, many, many people were sensing joy and hope and triumph being wrested from them. There were many prayers going up for people to dig in and dig deep and find extra reserves of energy and skill. And then there was the grieving. This week in church, we hosted two funerals. Both members, uh, one a member of our congregation now, one a member of our congregation previously. Both people who to their families were so precious and important, Evelyn and Derek. And at times like that, other emotions come to the fore, aching with loss, longing for comfort, the comfort of somebody loving to embrace us in their arms, a light to lead us through the darkness, desperate to know that the one we love is safe, is out of pain, is at peace. And we long for the hope that one day we will meet them again. Afraid that this might be the end of their story of life and fearful for ourselves for the moment when we too will have to take our long last journey into the dark. And so other words of scripture echo around us, bringing us hope. In God's presence is fullness of life. And at his right hand, joy and delight everlasting. The readings that we had today, they weren't just gloomy, they were dreadful. It seems shocking to us to hear such raw words on the lips of Bible characters. If we haven't read the Bible much recently, we might think, as many people who haven't read the Bible do think, that the Bible is populated with people whose lives are good, who live ethereal lives, really cushioned and out of touch with the rubbishy lives that most of us have to live. But Job from the Old Testament cries out to God in bitterness at the death of his family and at the physical agony that he is bearing because of his 
medical condition? Why is light given to those in misery and life to the bitter of soul, to those who long for death and it will not come? How many of us have felt the same way? That same cry has been expressed politically over these last months. Why should we not die if life is no longer good? Jeremiah, the author of our first multiple set of passages, writes a catalogue of grief for his smashed up city and his people who are broken and starving and dying. How many refugees across the world could echo precisely his words today? There might be one or two here who can remember what it was like in this building with flames on the roof. Palmerston Road smashed up with the bombs that had fallen. People who had died, people were broken and that sense of outrage, that cry to God to lead us through, to keep us safe. How would we feel if Sassy once again was subjected to barrel bombing and across Kent Road and Marmion Road were the bodies of those we loved? Probably we would feel the same as Jeremiah. My eyes fail from weeping. I am in torment within. My heart is poured out on the ground because my people are destroyed because children and infants lie dying in the streets of my city. What can I say to you, my city? Your wound is as deep as the sea. Who can heal you? And Jesus, who we think, floating above it all in the clouds in glory and splendor, unharmed by, untouched by the ravages of the world. And yet in our second reading, from the very pit, he cries out those words that so many others have cried out unknowingly with him. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When we get to the lowest point of our own personal suffering and horror, whether through grief or dep depression or guilt, whether through illness or betrayal or torture or war, we discover to our astonishment that God has been, through his Son, in exactly the same position as us. He has experienced what we are going through. And we find, too, that those who follow God, those who open their hearts, those who reach out to God, have found a way through with God, through the darkness, through the despair, through to hope. So Job, in all of his despair, could say, I know that my Redeemer lives, and that I shall see him on the last day. And though worms are now destroying my body, yet in my flesh I will see God. And Jeremiah 
can say this from his broken city. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. And Jesus, hanging on the cross, could say this. Also from the depths of his heart, crying out in pain, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. If this is why you've come today, because you're grieving, because you're anguished, to bring your sorrow and your suffering, then our hearts ache with you. We long that you will discover here the grieving father, the bleeding son, who both share with you and are angry at your suffering and who are reaching out to embrace you and soothe away your pain, to heal your brokenness and to raise you up in joy once more. For this too is our commission as a congregation to keep open the doors of this house of prayer and worship that anybody who is creeping in here to hide from the world or storming in here to shout out a protest of their suffering may find God's comfort here. Sometimes those of us who are not used to praying find it hard to to find exactly the right words to say what's in our heart and what we long for. You may remember the story of the young private in the in the pothole in no man's land in the First World War, facing carnage and death all around him. Also in the pothole with him is his sergeant. And he looks up to his sergeant, you know, who's like a, like a dad to him, and says, Sergeant, would you, would you pray a prayer for us now, here in this pothole? And the sergeant scratches his head and says, well, son, I, it's a long time since I've prayed. Not really, since I was a nipper. And the private says, well, just anyway, just please pray. So the sergeant puts his hands together and shuts his eyes and says, for what we're about to receive, may the Lord make us truly thankful. And those who find it hard to articulate prayer, who are not experienced in prayer, when they come to those terrible moments in their life or those wonderful moments in their life where they want to express what's in their heart to that which is beyond, to God, they very often come here to do that. And that's why we find that in moments of national tragedy or mourning or celebration that the churches are full and people come so that somebody else can say for them, what it is that they need to be said, that they need to be heard. And so it's our task as a congregation to express the prayers of others. And that's why we always have prayer ministry 
at the back of church so that if you have something on your heart, it doesn't have to be what's been raised by the sermon or you know, what's, what's kind of important or difficult. Or It can be just anything that is serious to you and you want to bring before God. Just go to the prayer ministry team and they would love to share that space, that moment with you and articulate your prayers to God. Sometimes we think, I think even of those of us who have been to church a long, long time can think, you know, it's not serious enough what, what's going on for me, what I'm struggling with, to disturb God with. He's a very busy man, and he's, you know, he's got some serious problems all over the world, and there are more important prayers to be prayed than mine. So I'll perhaps just sneak away home and just worry about it myself. Well, that may be how you think, but it's not how God thinks. And it's not, to be honest, how most children think. Meg does not say to herself, well, I'm feeling a bit hungry at the moment. I've got a bit of wind. And uh, never mind, I'll sort it out myself because my mum's very busy and she's got a lot of, you know, things to sort out around the house. And, you know, maybe at some point she'll get around to sort of sort. No, that's not what Meg does. What does Meg do? She cries out to her mother to come and rescue her from the misery that she's in. And her mum's straight there. God is waiting for you to bring to him the things that are on, whatever it is that's on your heart. And we would love to share that with you. And that's why quite often in church, we turn and pray for each other to give us an opportunity to just share anything that's been happening this last week and this next week and to bring that in conversation with God. So of course, if there's something that you would like to, please turn to your neighbor or go to the corner at the back and somebody would love to share that opportunity to bring those needs before God. And if you'd like to find out more about the God who is part of our celebrations and our sadness, the Alpha course has just begun. It's not too late to join us. We would love you to join us on Tuesday evening. Just turn up. Come on Tuesday evening and find out what it's all about. And you can share the celebration of an Alpha meal, which is always delicious, and the opportunity to bring up the questions and the struggles that you've always had with the idea of God, with the possibility of God, with the potential of God. Whether in joy or grief, in anticipation of dread, or in the prospect of delight, God is waiting here to greet you and to bless you. This is his house where prayer does not fall on deaf ears and where Jesus' love is transforming lives. Shall we pray? wilt not let me go I rest
Rest my weary soul on thee, I give thee back the life I owe, that in thine ocean depths its flow may richer, Rest all my way, I rest my weary soul within, I give thee back the life I owe, that in thine ocean gifts its flow, may richer that followest all my way. I yield my flickering torch to thee. My heart restores its borrowed rain that in my sunshine's blaze its day may brighter Seekest me through pain, I cannot close my heart to thee. I trace the rainbow through the rain and feel the promise is not vain that morn shall Lift up my head. I dare not ask to fly from thee. I lend dust life's glory death and pick up one of our other responsibilities as a house of prayer for Portsmouth, lifting before our Heavenly Father the needs of this city and this world. Arlene, come and lead us.